What's up, Fight Fan? You are listening to MMA Daily, the podcast where we bring you the latest in the world of mixed martial arts. It is Sunday, October 17th, 2021, and this week's episode, MMA Winter, is coming. We'll talk about a very stacked weekend in the world of mixed martial arts, UFC Vegas 40 and Bellator 268. We'll talk about the latest in MMA news the addition of a mega fight to UFC 269 and shuffling the deck for UFC 270 in January. And we'll spend a lot of time previewing this coming weekend's events, the return of Fedor in Russia, and of course, a very high-stakes middleweight fight at UFC Vegas 41. My name is Gabriel Gonzalez, and I'm here with my co-host, Natalie Zamudio. Hello, Double G. Uh, You know, you've been talking about pumpkin spice for this month of October, and I had yesterday a pumpkin spice uh, pan dulce, like, you know, the Mexican uh, pastry, and it was pretty darn good. So uh, I'm feeling that pumpkin spice mood right now. I like it. Here's the most important question. Did you have it while wearing uh, Ugg boots? Oh, Lord, no. I think I was probably wearing nikes my air max 90s or something okay because i always say it's like you know what especially with girls it's like look enjoy what you want but if you have a pumpkin spice latte remember you are always just one pair of ugg boots away from being basic you could get a pass on (laughs) one or the other but you do too i'm sorry but no bro i was either wearing my max air max 90s or my jordan ones my my lows so so come on give me a little shoe credit there (laughs) ugg boots in the psl that's officially basic i'm sorry (laughs) And if that's you, own it. But I don't even own Uggs. I own. I don't I have believe some you. boots from when I lived in Seattle. I have some Doc Martens. Uh, that's about it. No, I don't own Uggs, bro. Come on, man. Give me a break. To each their own. <laughs> uh, Natalie, I see you're in a good mood. I'm assuming it's because we had a very stacked Saturday of MMA. I will say, I, I really liked it. I like the fact that, you know, main event ended in UFC and like 15-ish minutes later, we're in the main card first fight of the Bellator event. So I like when you just kind of can flow right through. I don't like feeling like you're missing one or the other too much. I know you missed the Carla Brexton fight, which some people said was the best fight for Bellator of the week of the weekend in general. But you know, uh, let's start with UFC because I think that's the one that a lot of people have their thoughts on. Um, Aspen Ladd versus Norma Dumont. Uh, Natalie, I'm gonna actually keep it short for a five round fight. I think that a lot of people are not giving enough credit for how much bigger Norma Dumont was and. I brought it up and I said, that's probably going to be the X factor because two weeks ago, Aspen Ladd was getting ready to fight at 135 pounds. So all this, you know, oh, she pretty much just didn't cut weight, but she wasn't lifting. She wasn't putting on muscle. She is trying to get as lean as possible because we already know, you know, she has a tough time making 135. She's not trying to put on body mass of muscle or any sort to make Bantam weight. So I never expected her to measure up physically to at featherweight. And to me, I think a lot of people maybe just, and, and I get it, her record and her skills don't necessarily leap off the page like a lot of contenders. Norma, physicality, and I'll say it, her striking and her ability to maintain range, it looked pretty solid considering the changeup. I think you could really tell she was prepared to have to deal with a striker like a Holly Holm, her original opponent. So all of that, 
put together. I think that you got to give Norma Dumont. She was the bigger fighter and she used all of those attributes to her advantage. She was the more physical fighter. I think she did a fantastic job every time Aspen came in. She just would connect with something. She would time her coming in. And it just stopped the forward momentum each time of Aspen. Uh, Aspen kind of got a sense of urgency a little too late in rounds four and five. We can talk about the coaching after, but uh, what are just your thoughts on this fight? For me, uh, yeah, obviously Norma Dumont dominant performance with the jab. That was the story of the night for me as far as what happened between the two fighters. Jab, jab, jab to the forehead. I mean, she was just jabbing Aspen Lab to to death, basically. You know, not literally, but it was just nonstop. And and I'm thinking, if I'm Aspen Lab, you know, before the coach, before you know, we'll get into it. Before her coach started getting emphatic with her, I'm thinking, what's going on in her head that she's not just like I don't know, stepping to the side to go <laughs> to get around the jab. But it seemed like she was just fixated on timing the jab like I think she kept thinking okay it was almost like you're being at a slot machine you know this time when I push the button I'm gonna win I'm gonna get all sevens she was staring right into her into her opponent and thinking this time I'm gonna see the jab and move and counter I think she countered successfully once in round one or two and you know Norma did her classic you know come here with her hands and and then that was kind of it when she put she felt the pressure from her corner yeah she did some some, you know, at least a takedown attempts, pushing up against the fence. There was a nice elbow um, against the cage in round four or five. I can't remember, but there was just, uh, you know, there was like a mis- a, a breakdown, a communication breakdown before a- between Aspen's la- Aspen Lad's body and her brain, right? Like, just was not computing, and you felt for her because... Of course, she wanted, you know what she's capable of, and so you know that she's wanting to do more, and in her mind, you can almost hear the the inner monologue there, the inner dialogue, but just couldn't get out of that, that <clears throat> stuck position. She was a little bit like a frozen video game character, you know, just like a glitch in the, in the software there. So it's one of those tough ones where, you know, you, you had the trouble with the weight. Like I said last week, this is a big opportunity for her to make up for the, for the, the trouble she caused UFC by having to, you know, be pulled from a fight. And even if she didn't win, it would have been good to see something, to see like Aspen Ladd come to life, to see how she, you know, came out against Yana Kunitskaya. We didn't see any of that. It sucks for her. And, you know, she'll come back. She's still a name that the UFC is probably going to want to market, but it's it's a little bit of a ding to the to the momentum of Aspen Ladd for sure, as far as the, the UFC trajectory. But Norma Dumont just jabbed the heck out of her, and that was it. No no real response in kind. I think to me with Aspen, I mean, one of the things I will say is that for a Bantamweight, and I know it's going to feel very apple, apples to oranges, but a bit of like Tyron Woodley. I mean, you know, isn't exactly going out there with this beautiful striking clinic, but, you know, obviously pre-Usman Woodley, aggressive could kind of just use her physicality use her speed not the tallest she's never been the tallest even at bantamweight but you know gets after it and then the threat of the wrestling kind of completes the full arsenal right you know she she's tough she's gritty and 
she was aggressive and she had the wrestling and she, when she gets on top of you she does a lot of her best work i don't i feel like once again when you have a bigger opponent that's a big part of it i do think there was a lot of a discouragement remember she's coming off i don't know if it was the same knee but for sure several injuries that had kept her out for two years I just think that this was always a big mountain to climb for Aspen. And once again, you know, Norma wasn't trying to cut weight. If anything, Norma has been vocal in recent months to say, yeah, I wanted 135, but now I am trying to be a featherweight. And if UFC is keeping it, I'm aware that I'm in a division that does not have a lot of people. And so I do think that that was just a big part of it. And look, uh, once again, Aspen's still young and still growing. Um, and then, of course, uh, the coaching, which I want to be fair to both sides. So what I will say here, when you talked about the Yana the Kunitskaya finish and mm-hmm. the coach, he kind of, you know, tells her essentially you need to get this, you know, get your ish done because it's going to get away from you. And, you know, kind of has her Friday night lights. It's not about X's and O's. It's about get your butt in gear and really motivate your athlete right everyone responds to different things and something i didn't even realize jim west her coach is also her boyfriend oh my goodness i didn't know that yes i read that and i was like how did i miss that somewhere wow yes so what i will say is only and i'm gonna just say this i'm not even gonna say jim west and aspen only aspen knows just how much she responds to that positively because I will say this, Aspen reminds me of someone else a little bit. Have you ever heard of this thing called like resting freshman face? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I know a little about that. Yes. <laughs> I might you know, from it. <laughs> Aspen, you know, she's just got this look that looks a little, you know, like she's uh, one college sweater away from going to class at 19 years old. Yep. But the fact is, look, she's a mid-20s, you know, professional athlete with a killer instinct when she gets going. And so I want to say that sometimes Aspen kind of always looks a little timid, even when, you know, like media days, I feel like. And I I say this as somebody who probably has this expression a lot, by the way, Aspen. So I want you to be I want to be clear. If you saw me, I I have resting freshman face a lot, too. Um, (laughs) It's contagious. (laughs) Yeah, especially when I'm clean shaven. But my point of that is that only Aspen knows how she's reacting to it, regardless of what her facial expression seems to show. Um, And once again, I feel like Norma Dumont was just fighting a good fight. So I don't want to say that as like, oh, well, the coach led to a detrimental effect on Aspen. That being said, you know, we saw Lauren Murphy. She said, I don't need to be told I'm losing. I know I need some positive reinforcement. Otherwise, otherwise, the the hole I'm in just seems to get bigger in my mind when I'm trying to focus on getting rallying back in a fight. So every athlete responds to things differently. What I will say is at a certain point, um, I feel like he kind of threw the Hail Mary. He gave his Friday night lights and, you know, tried to motivate his athlete. But I think when you get to round four and five, I think that you realize that it's kind of too late to just tell her to fight with more urgency. I think you almost need to tell her you need to knock out or be knocked out. Mm -hmm. You need to say something a lot more than just the uh, morale boost, so to speak. You get what I mean? 
more oh, than just yeah. light. I almost felt like, you know, the time for the fire lighting is over. It is now time to, you need to actually give her something, you know, win or lose to do because you've been telling her for about four rounds to get it in gear. It is clearly not enough. That is the one knock I will give on Jim West. And once again, only Aspen knows how she actually responds to that. And out of respect, she may not even make that public because of her personal relationship with Jim. But I did feel at a certain point, I'm like, you know, if plan A and B aren't working, it just felt like he was going back to the well, like, get it in gear to win the fight. And clearly that also did not work. And yeah, I'll toss it to you now for that. Yes. So first of all, just very kind of a, a game changer for me about you know, finding out that this, this, this man, Jim West is her boyfriend, but okay. My initial thoughts were the first time he did it when he was like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Basically. I thought, Hey, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So I'm glad you're telling her the truth. The look on her face was not one of like, you know, positive receptive reception. Like she wasn't receiving the information positively, but a lot of times, unless it's like Justin Gaethje or mighty mouse, you don't really get a lot of feedback from fighters with their coach talks to them, no matter what kind of energy they're throwing at them, right? There's usually a blank stare. Justin Gaethje will smile and say, yeah, I'm having fun. And Mighty Mouse would you know, say, yes, coach, yes, coach. Holly Holm kind of does that too. Most people don't. So I was like, okay, she has a blank stare, a little, a little resting fresh in her face, um, but that's what she needs to hear. So this is great. Let's see what happens in the next round. But you're right. After that didn't work, like – piling on with that same energy that same like finger pointing of what are you doing you're not doing what you're supposed to do come on like being loudly obviously frustrated with his fighter that that was a failure of of him as a coach right like you have to read your 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 student and adjust so he tried something it didn't work and and now you have to try something else maybe gentle maybe saying as you suggested like okay we're totally losing this fight just go out there, be reckless, um, go berserker because that's the only way you're going to win. But not to say it in a, you know, really like, um, admonishing tone, you know, that stuff does matter, right? Even, even if, if that kind of energy works in training camp in the gym, when you're in there, you got to improvise, adapt, right? Like you got to read your fighter, read the room. And he didn't, he stopped reading the room and he was just internalizing, externalizing his internal thoughts without a filter. And, and that was the failure of him in the last two rounds as a coach. Um, you could see in her face, there was a moment where it almost looked like she wanted to cry. Like her, I saw her chin and lip quiver. And I was like, Oh, that's tough. You know, she's not, she's not taking that information the way you think she should. And now that I know he's her boyfriend, um, I'm surprised she didn't like flip out and start yelling at him because if my husband did that to me, I would have really, um, I would have lost my shit. So that's very interesting. <laughs> I would have been like, shut the F up. You can't talk to me like that. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, I'll give a great example and I'll move it on. Cause we have a lot of fights, but I don't know if you remember this when Tony Ferguson fought Justin Gaethje and he's clearly getting beat and he brings Eddie Bravo to give him advice and <laughs> he's losing and Eddie Bravo says, go for an Imanari role. Yep. And Tony Ferguson, after let's say it, he, he was getting it handed to him, goes for an unsuccessful Imanari role. And I'm like, 
I almost felt like, Jim, that probably should have been plan C. Because technical advice didn't work. The fire didn't work. Three rounds of the fire didn't work. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that that's my final point on it is that... And look, once again, only Aspen knows. I really want to hear her thoughts on... No, really. Do you respond well to that? Honestly. And I'm going to just leave it at that. Um, good stuff in UFC. Uh, um, Jim Miller spoils the UFC debut of my guy, Eric Gonzalez. Um, tough one, but respect Jim Miller. Um, I mean, that dude's the ever-ready battery. I mean, when I heard how many fights he's been in, it's like, dang. And, you know, so just a solid night in UFC. And then, of course, Bellator. It was all about the light heavyweight Grand Prix semifinal. Uh, let's start with the main event on that one. Vadim Nemkov. He was the one, you know, scheduled to fight Rumble Johnson. Gets an alternate in Julius Anglicus. For people who weren't familiar with Julius, uh, he was on a nine-fight win streak. He won his fight on The Ultimate Fighter. And Dana White at the time said he wasn't ready. Julius... You know, he got three fights in Embellator. He was going to fight um, another guy who probably could have been in the alternate spot in Carl Brexen. And, you know, just very bluntly, Julius cracks Vadim. Looks like it might be high drama. Vadim Nemkov, to his credit, he holds on. And the next three-ish rounds are just pure control on the mat. Just slowly breaks him down. Julius gets more exhausted and... Finally, uh, Vadim Nemkov gets that Kimura, and it's a wrap. What were your thoughts? Yeah, it was like you know surprising, but kind of kind of fun to see Vadim get a little you know getting a little bit of danger there at the start. But then it was just business as usual, and it's like okay, yeah, he's he's really that good. You know that that style of fighting, wrestling heavy. It's it's one of those where it's the code still hasn't been broken. You know, and especially with someone of his size, that physique, like it's going to be a tough nut to crack there um, at Bellator. So it will be interesting to see, you know, the the finals, and we'll get into who's on the other side of that. But but yeah, I mean, it was a it was a strong performance for for Nemkov. You know, a cool moment for Julian, but it, but it is what it is. Not really surprising with the outcome there. Yeah, I mean, so to lead right into it, Corey Anderson uh, makes quick work of Ryan Bader. Uh, watching that, you know, Corey, uh, I'll say, Ryan, one of the things about him is his physicality. I mean, he's always been this strong athlete at 205, and it's really about when he pushes forward, you know you got to worry about heavy hands, and then he could just really mow you down with his wrestling. And to be honest, Corey just looks so much looser. And I really felt like, okay, we're going to probably be in for a long night. And then Corey just catches him. That punch comes, um, hits the back of the ear. Ryan goes down and really just like a dog on a bone. Corey just unleashed multiple barrages. And at first I really thought Ryan, you know, it looked like he got his, you know, his wits back pretty quick. And I thought he might be able to... uh, get himself out of this one and get back to the feet and tie him up. It just didn't happen. Corey just really was relentless. And I'll be honest, I do think that had he not gone to the finish, he probably would have gassed his arms out. That's how much he just kept kind of, you know, emptying the chamber in terms of those barrages. But he really just made sure that, no, 
I'm Ryan Bader's not gonna get back up, you know, no matter how how quickly he recovered from the first shot. So I was impressed with the killer instinct. I was impressed with how loose he was on the feet to open up that fight. And I will say, you know, now we have a very intriguing... That's exactly what you want to see out of somebody who has to end the win streak of a Vadim Nemkov. Somebody who's got experience on the big stage. Somebody who's going out there and putting guys down. I, I really like this. I, I think that... um. It's not the people we wanted. I mean, when you look at it, you know, Rumble versus Vadim and Yol Romero was supposed to be out here. And, you know, both of them ended up falling out of the tournament at different points. At the end, we still have a great fight in this in the finals. What about you? We do have a great fight in the finals. I do feel a little bit for Scott Coker, for the Bellator matchmakers. Like, you know, they, they had this season, this tournament lined up to be pretty darn exciting and the two big money investments that they made just both fell out fell through and like it's gotta be very disappointing but but again you know uh bellator is really good at building their own stars and you know they have vadim and ryan bader you know had his most the most success in his mma career in with Bellator now, okay, he's out, but he's still a big name. And Corey Anderson is someone that, you know, he's the one that paid off the one UFC, you know, acquisition that has paid off for them as far as, you know, being able to like successfully make it to a fight and then have good performance. Um, but yeah, as far as, uh, uh, Corey and Ryan, that was, uh, that was, that was just super fast. He, uh, Corey, once he got Ryan on the, on the ground, just attacked like just a blitz, a blitz. All right. So, you know, Corey, he does have that in him. Sometimes he has these fights where he, he shows you that he has heavy hands and he just goes for it. But then sometimes he has those fights where it's really boring and he's just pressing on you and holding up against the cage or holding you down on the canvas. So this matchup with Vadim, another, you know, wrestler could mean that we end up seeing a fight on the feet, sort of like we did with um, Colby and Kamaru uh, at the UFC. You know, it could mean that there's something exciting in in the finals. It could also um, result in a really thrilling grappling, you know, match. Um, hopefully we get a little bit of both. But in any case, um, I'm kind of not that he's my my favorite, most favorite fighter or the most exciting, but I'm kind of happy for Corey Anderson. You know, he's always counted out and I'm sure he was pretty happy to be the one that nobody saw coming in this tournament. So good for him. Yeah, I think that um, a win for Corey would kind of be the ultimate bragging rights. And uh, I'll be honest, when I look at the. Corey's career leading up to this point, um, I think honestly it's a little similar to Ryan Bader in that I remember Corey distinctly. I mean, he had those opportunities where it looked like UFC was maybe trying to get behind him at a time when 205 was really stagnant. And, you know, I think he lost the fight to Jimmy Manua. I think there was another loss in there. And then obviously he has that setup, you know, he was kind of brought in to lose to Johnny Walker, knocks out Johnny Walker, but then gets knocked out by Jan Blahovich, who, by the way, they are one and one. They, you know, until something changes, if something changes, we may never get a trilogy. 
But the fact is, you know, it, it just seemed like Corey UFC was kind of there to be like, well, you know what? We've kind of gone to this well a few times for you to be our breakout guy. You just haven't gone there. And now to see him have this kind of run in Bellator, it is really cool. And, you know, could you argue, could he have done that in UFC? He had his chances. Yeah, but then you also got to look at how it worked out for Ryan Bader. I mean, still solid, still could compete in UFC. But when you look at where he was at in his career and the UFC light heavyweight division, he he kind of ended up winning the deal. You know, he got to do these things in Bellator. And regardless of what you think of the whole, you know, the... A League, the B League, and all this mm-hmm. and all that. The fact is, you know, Ryan Bader did far more in Bellator than he would have had he just kind of continued on the same trajectory that he was locked into in UFC. And I think the same is for Corey Anderson, and um, more so if he wins uh, the tournament. But, you know, that's obviously another conversation. We'll get more into that. Vadim Nemkov is no joke and could certainly... You see what he took against Julius. He could certainly provide a lot of problems for Corey Anderson. So I think we got an intriguing final. I'm glad we got somebody new to kind of push Vadim. You know, I think that, you know, after the potential rematch with Ryan, we thought maybe, or fighting Phil Davis again, I just like that we have a fresh matchup going into the finals. So good stuff there. Uh, Scott Coker said that they're looking at early 2022, so I'm hoping February, March for them. I'm still convinced they're doing AJ McKee versus somebody in January. I just just don't see a scenario where they don't do LA, but, you know, anything could happen, I guess. But yeah, so that was quite the weekend in MMA action. And then, wouldn't you believe it, we got... So I'll be honest, this one came so out of left field, I had to double check that it wasn't a fake account. <laughs> so, you know, Brett Okamoto hits Twitter. I, every time, I don't know about you, but I, when I see it, you know how it has like the little, the bubbles of everyone's profile picture? Uh-huh. And it has like three people. I always get excited when I like log into Twitter and I see Brett Okamoto tweeted something. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, we might have something. You know, and sure enough, you know, like pops up new tweets. Jorge Masvidal versus Leon Edwards. UFC 269 on December 11th. They're just going to be three rounds, not five, which a lot of people, I'll be honest with you. I think that Jorge wanted more money to fight five and they're like, no, we'll live with three. But the fact is, they get added. They did. It did come at the cost of the flyweight championship. We'll get into that. But the fact is, we now get a resolution to the now infamous, you know, the like, you know how they're, they always like to name certain days in sports, like <laughs> on a day where like there was a shutout, they call it like Black Friday, some like team gets blown out and they call it like the memorial, you know, the something day massacre. I know yeah. basketball, I can't remember, it's like Memorial Day, Valentine's Day, something, but like you know, this one I'm trying to figure out, what do we call the three-piece and a soda incident? <laughs> and, you know, so let's say like it is, Jorge's coming off back-to-back losses to Kamaru Usman. Leon has gone nine, ten fights, no losses. There was one no contest in there. Um, what are your thoughts on the fight? 
Well, you know, we knew it was going to happen. It's it's a good time for Masvidal to have the fight. You know, he was on that upward swing, and I never thought the Leon Edwards fight made sense when he was in that, you know, stratosphere, you know, because it, it just wasn't a big enough fight for me, despite the reason that, you know, they were people wanted them to fight. I just thought, like, yeah, Leon Edwards isn't big enough to fight Jorge Masvidal, like the guy who just knocked out you know, Darren Till and then Ben Askren and then fought, you know, beat Nate Diaz. Like, Leon Edwards is not in that sphere yet, despite his winning record. But now Jorge Masvidal has lost two, and so now it makes sense. Makes sense for Jorge. Leon Edwards, you know, it's been so hard for him to get a fight or to be able to fight, and this is personal. So, like, if I'm him, I take it. He's probably super confident he's going to beat Jorge Masvidal. We'll obviously break it down when the time comes, but... Despite my love for Masvidal, Leon Edwards, you know, the odds are probably in his favor for victory here. And so it's kind of a win-win for Leon Edwards because, you know, he's likely to win. And then he still will be in line for a title shot, um, you know, after that. So it's not really setting him back so much. You got to settle your personal grudges. Like, I, I, if I'm him, I don't, I don't get to feel good about my my time uh, at UFC if I don't if I don't make this one right now personally I think he had it coming I think he deserved it you know but whatever <laughs> but whatever so yeah it's a good matchup it is kind of weird though that that this addition to 269 caused a championship fight to get moved off the card but you know we'll we'll, we'll get into that too yeah um I, I will say for Leon I think it was very clear that if he didn't fight he felt like UFC would Look, let's say Usman just uh, first round knockouts Colby. I think Leon felt like if he didn't take this fight, he could see like Vicente Luque just sneaking right into a title fight, right? Mm -hmm. I think that he felt like at least fighting Jorge, if he goes out there, handles business, you know, that locks him in. But if he just sits out and waits, who knows what could happen? Um, and then there's just the whole breakdown, like who's going to fight who? Is it Edwards and Masvidal? Were they going to go Edwards, Gilbert Burns? Where is, by the way, Vicente Luque, I mean, I'm kind of curious what they're going to do with him. We keep hearing Nate Diaz, but it seems like there's no movement there for a lot. A lot of people have thoughts on, you know, they don't want to give Diaz Vicente on his last UFC fight of his contract, so... I don't know, a lot going on there, but to back to Leon, I think this is, at the end of the day, this is the fight that I think was always the most appealing. You get all of this footage and the backstory, and really, you know, high stakes. The winner, at least for Leon, if he wins, this is a title shot. Really, you can wait if you win this one now. Then if you're Masvidal, I mean, let's say it, if Usman wins, the fact is he's still in no man's land. But if Colby Covington wins, hey, 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 now. we You know, suddenly the game is very interesting, right? So I think that that just opens up a world of possibilities. Like I said, uh, or I don't know if I said it, but I feel like Leon could feel like he's getting Masvidal at a great time. I will say that Jorge... I've had some thoughts. For example, and I've said this, and he he won with style points. But I think when you look back at it, he really should have done what he did to Ben Askren, Darren Till, 
you know, Nate Diaz, all these guys, right? Yeah, yeah. But then I do remember, for example, when Cowboy Cerrone was on a run and Masvidal really just smoked him. And I, I remember at the time, no one was really talking about Jorge and he just handles business. He can be a little inconsistent, but when you see him dialed in, he really is a very, very difficult challenge for a lot of guys. So what I will say going into this fight is that um, Leon doesn't have a gimme fight. This is another great opportunity for Jorge. And really, when you look at the welterweight division and a lot of the directions it could go, very big deal to get this victory. Because I think if you're Jorge, three in a row, three losses in a row, I don't got to tell you how disappointing that would be after having a career year. And then for Leon, after all the work he's done, for it to not materialize in a title shot would... That's kind of like Jacare never fighting for the UFC title. Like he was on such a run, how could it not happen? So mm-hmm. that's how I feel about it. This is a very important fight for the two of them on a personal level, just for their careers in general. Definitely. So let's talk about that, though, because, you know, in order to have Jorge and Leon, it means that Figueredo and Moreno number three gets moved to January 22nd. And... um. So that'll be UFC 270. By the way, rumors, they are exploring Anaheim. I think a lot of people are... I will say this. If it's not Vegas, I think I don't think it'll be Fight Island. And for whatever reason, I just don't get the impression that Houston or Florida are in play for the UFC. Which, I'll be honest, I'm a little shocked because I, as much as I love New York and... um. You know, Vegas and everything. I'm actually surprised that we have not heard about, oh, don't worry, the UFC, they signed the deal in Houston, we're going back, or even Florida, because I think that Florida and combat sports just seems to be a hotbed in 2021. But the fact is, you know, they're exploring that option. My question to you, I guess, is... Is UFC 269 in December, is it still as good as it was originally? Like, okay, instead of, you know, uh, Oliveira Poirier, Amanda Juliana, and Figueredo Moreno, it's still as good with Charles, Amanda, and now Masvidal Edwards. Like, is it a fair trade? Uh, You know what? I don't... I don't think so. I don't know why they couldn't just add Masvidal Edwards into that fight and make it like a super mega fight because like that championship fight with Moreno and Figueredo was going to be killer. Like of the three title fights, that was the second most exciting one, right? I mean, I'm not, no offense to Nunes and Pena, but Oliveira Poirier, Moreno, Figueredo, those were the, the two big, exciting, barn burning title fights. So you take one off to make room for Masvidal Edwards, and and where's where's that going to be on the on the card? Like, is that taking the spot, the number three spot, or? Um, yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, I'm just looking at the the rundown here. Yeah, I I kind of wish like look they have they have a lot of good fights. Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz. Okay, Sean O'Malley's fighting. He's you know he's got a lot, very popular. Cody Garbrandt's fighting. Ah. Uh. It's still a good card, man, but like I, I don't see why you couldn't just make it a better card instead of saying like, well, we got to do a swap. Um, 
was it that 269 was going to be too rich or that 270 needed help? Um, because now you got to remind me what's happening at 270. The uh, and Cyril gone. Yeah, okay. So And then Ngannou. also Derek Brunson, Jared Cannonier. Mm. That one's not as, you know, exciting as far as eyeballs come or, you know, money uh, and eyeballs. But yeah, okay. And Ganu, everyone wants to see him. Um, no matter what, gone to have that great performance against Derek Lewis. Yeah, I think I think it's it kind of just worked out. Like 270 needed a little bit of help, and them being able to slot, put another big fight on 269 gave them the opportunity to help 270. Um, all right. I've worked it out in my head. It's okay, but I think it would have been cooler to make 269 just even better. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't diminish it. What, I, what I'm hearing is that, um, although it's not confirmed, that there's, for whatever reason, they're also now exploring Adesanya Whitaker in February instead of pairing them up with uh, Nganu. Um, Okay, so like, I, I know, I don't think I've ever shared a picture of my office, but I have, you know, several of the posters around if you watch my interviews on YouTube. And I have one of UFC 200. Okay. And it's got that super rundown of Tate Nunes, Brock Lesnar, Daniel Cormier, Jose Aldo. They don't even have space to write Cain Velasquez, who's on the card, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, that was the super ridiculous card that was so awesome. And then I'm like, you know, there's a reason that one is special. And so to talk about 269, I think that when you consider how much drawing power Masvidal has by himself, when you consider that he had a great, put it this way, Masvidal versus anyone does okay. Masvidal versus Leon for the story. Mm-hmm. That one, that, that headlines its own card. Most nights, right? Oh, yeah. On free TV, even on two losses. Okay. I think that... And by the way, I I don't know if Masvidal is still getting pay-per-view points, but if he is in any way, that could be automatically why the UFC chose to do it because every champion gets a cut. And so you already were going to have three champions. Imagine if you give a fourth fighter a cut of pay-per-view. Then suddenly Mm. we're talking about profit. I'm not saying Jorge had it. Because I don't know where he was at. He might have only had it for the Fight Island. um, The first one where he stepped in on short notice. But the fact is, we know his popularity is unquestioned, right? Mm -hmm. So now when I look at 269, I can see why in, you know, three title fights plus Masvidal, that might just be seen as an overabundance of riches. Which as a fan, why can't we have it? But as a business, it's like, yeah, you know... If it's not like UFC 1000, they're not going to stack an event that nice. Like, imagine if we had, like, one night, Poirier, Oliveira, Nganu Gan, Adesanya Whitaker, um, uh, I don't know, Conor McGregor <laughs> opening the prelims. <laughs> you know, he's the only non-title fight on the card. Imagine, you know, we freaking would go bananas. The business doesn't work that nice. I'm sorry. It's not like WWE WrestleMania. You could plan this, you know. So, um, I think, um, mind you, that's why WrestleManias are so successful. But anyway, um, I think that's what it just came down to: is that like, if you're trying to space out the pay per view schedule, 
you give help and shine to Nganu. Adesanya, I would argue Adesanya was, is probably the number two draw in MMA right now behind uh, Connor. Just for star power, for a lot of those other metrics, I feel like he is one of the only other guys who's like, oh, like, outside of Connor, he is a must-see pay-per-view guy. I feel like he's one of the few guys that they don't always worry about, oh, who's on the undercard to help him out? He could do it himself. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, but, yeah, but my point of that now um, is to say that, um, you know, if you're going to space him out like that, then yeah... Putting Moreno and Figueredo, uh, it makes sense. So, I know I would have liked a really super mega awesome card on December <laughs> too, but life doesn't always work the way we want. Oh, that's right. Indeed. Yeah. Um, by the way, they also said uh, if they end up having the event in Anaheim, it's very close to Tijuana, Mexico. Mm-hmm. So for Brandon Moreno, that's a big deal. So, I don't, well, I'll say this: I don't necessarily know that that works in MMA like it does in boxing. Like, I, I, even in combat sports, because unless you have someone who would already sell out a arena anywhere, yeah, like. I see Texas say this and it's like, oh, well, there's all these Mexican fans for Canelo and Mikey Garcia. Like, I remember Mikey Garcia, Errol Spence, and it's like, you put it in Texas because Errol's from there because it's close to Mexico for Mikey. I don't get it. But I don't feel like it works out the way you plan all the time. Like, oh, all the so-and-so from here and all of this community and that community is going to come. I don't know if that necessarily works, so... I say that to say, I don't know that because you put Brandon Moreno in Anaheim, suddenly it's going to be like, you know, Tijuana number two, because Brandon Moreno's there. Yeah, I think that's fair. It is, it's fair in general for MMA, but uh, Brandon Moreno's kind of a special dude. And, you know, I think the way Tijuana, Baja California works, like there's a lot of back and forth there. It's not... I mean, you know, if you if you got the 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 papeles, right? You you can go back and forth. There's no problem. It's right. It's like two hours, three hour drive. That's easy to do. So if, for his case specifically, uh, it might bring a little bit of uh, attention, a little bit of love from from TJ. But um, but in general, I do agree with you. It doesn't doesn't always work that way. The way it does in boxing. Yeah, it's just a very particular kind of recipe to get fans like to do that. But um, I mean, look, uh, okay, I'll tell you one guy who's not going to have that problem. Fedor Emelianenko <laughs> in yes. Moscow. That's so true. That's coming up. Uh, by the, I'm not going to lie. I could have sworn this one was the Friday to Saturday um, for Bellator. Instead, uh, I will say this. I think that UFC is scheduled to go early. I don't know where they fall with uh, Showtime, but um, so they're going to go head to head. But the big fight, Fedor Melinenko returns, hasn't fought since I believe he knocked out uh, Quentin Jackson in 2019 and um, taking on former title challenger Tim Johnson. This one. okay, so I'm going to just start with the probably the boring part first. Tim Johnson is bigger, younger. 
Um, look, I know not a lot of people know him, but uh, the fact is physicality, when he gets on top of you, does impressive damage. Not this beautiful striker, but he's tall and he knows how to use his range and his reach to great effect. So I think that's what makes him particularly dangerous. Fedor, if I'm being honest, he really hasn't evolved in the years since. You know, there's so many bigger, more talented fighters at heavyweight in the last few years. He's gotten older. Um, So Fedor has the same amount to climb as he always does. He's going to be undersized. He's going to have to try to set up a right hand, and he doesn't have lights out grappling. That being said, Fedor in Russia, and I'm going to just say it, Tim Johnson's a nice guy, but he does not carry the Rocky Balboa flag. (laughs) So you almost feel like this is going to be Ivan Drago versus the guy who was on their undercard. For Rocky Four, you know what I mean? Yeah, the guy you never that didn't make the cut. Yeah, on the on the in the movie. <laughs> talk, so talk to me. I mean, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, if I'm Tim Johnson, I'm like, okay, I get a chance to fight Fedor. Oh, that's great. Oh, in Russia. Oh, that's that's interesting. Um, a little scary, a little intimidating. Do I actually want to win this fight? <laughs> like when I'm there, do I want to beat Fedor in Russia? Uh, I don't know. You got to think about it, um, but it's it's you know it's a really exciting opportunity. I don't think anyone would turn it down. Yes, Tim Johnson is not really high on my radar, but you know I was looking at his record and like, first of all, the photo they have of him, topology, you know, he he he's just looks like the happiest heavyweight you've ever seen in your life. Looks very friendly. So uh, anyway, looking at, at his Bellator record, anyway. Uh, he beat Matt Mitrion, ground and pound, round one, right? Back in, was this, August 2020. Czech Congo, split decision, um, October 2020. Like, those are good wins. He lost his last fight um, this this June, but, you know, that's, you know, Fedor is, is not getting younger. You point out the size discrepancy, like, this could be an interesting fight. You know, I think... Uh, I think Tim Johnson probably has the advantage here, but again, Fader in Russia, like that's got to be intimidating, right? Like, don't you think you'd be a little scared? (laughs) If I'm Tim Johnson, I am glad that this fight is close to Halloween because there's no (laughs) shortage of spirit shops and everything for him to get a good disguise to go around Moscow. Oh my God. Because I'll just be honest, look, I'm not saying there's some hate there for him personally. I'm just saying that, you know, you are fighting the man. You're, I mean, look, this isn't a political show. I'm just stating facts. Putin Mm -hmm. is a fan of Fedor. Yeah. (laughs) This is a fact. They've said it. I've asked Fedor about it. What's it like knowing he's the president? What's it like knowing the president is a fan of your fights? You know, um, it's uh, not a little thing. You know what I mean? Um, look, I'll say this. I-, I favor Tim Johnson in most any scenario. I think that if he avoids the big right hand and he keeps a disciplined defense, he's moving. He gets that job done sooner or later. I'm not worried about him. Um, would it be wild to see Fedor just zig instead of zag and crack him with the right hand and put him out? Oh my gosh, yes. I don't favor that to happen. I think that Tim is at a different spot in his career than Rampage Jackson in 2019. Um, 
uh, for me, uh, I think we uh, speak for both of us. It's all about the effect. We want to see what are they going to do for Fedor in Russia. Because this is like Michael Jordan's last game in Chicago. This is like Kobe at Staples Center. Like, this isn't a little night. You are understanding that you might be sending out one of the goats of MMA in a main event in their home country that they haven't fought in in years. So, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited for it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm excited for it. Like, I've been there to see Fedor walk out in L.A. I can't imagine how cool it's going to be in Russia. I mean, and wasn't that an intimidating sight in Los Angeles? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> imagine yeah so the yeah the most exciting part of this fight is just to see the last emperor in Ru- fighting in russia and so it almost doesn't matter who he's fighting you know no offense to tim johnson but that's the real appeal of the of the of the, of the fight oh yeah i don't know how else to tell you this but like for people who will never experience it you feel like you're in rocky four like fedor's yeah. walking out and you know, he's got that uh, very, you know, traditional, you know, it's not like he's walking out to Russian rap. It's a very classical song and he's yeah, got the flag. Yeah, Soviet Union, you know, like, you know, for the Republic, for Motherland kind Ex- of music. Exactly. And he walks out and it's like, bro, is, is Fedor, is it Drago? You know, it, it just feels <laughs> that way. I, I don't know how else to put it into words. It's one of the most entertaining experiences, I'll say. Almost as cool as my, Brian Ortega with the purge, but that's another story. Oh yeah, 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 creepy. Anyway, but um, let's move on. We got a really good UFC fight, and you know, I'm assuming they're gonna be staggered off. Like they're not gonna run co- concurrent, is what I mean. But uh, Paulo Costa returns for the first time since fighting Israel Adesanya to take on Marvin Vittori. This is actually gonna be more than a year since he fought last and we heard rumors about it and it seems like he wanted to get paid more and he kind of tried to negotiate away a little bit but it looks like they figured i don't know if they figured it out or he just uh lost the battle and wants to stay active but the fact is polo costa's back and he's taken on a equally physical guy and big to his credit in marvin vittori what are your thoughts on the fight yeah, I'm, I'm interested in... Okay, let me back up. When I think about Paula Costa, yes, it's been so long during the fight, I still think about how both of these guys were, were beat pretty soundly by Israel Adesanya, especially Paula Costa, and the excuse that he came up with after the fact, or I'm going to call it excuse, the reason he, he gives for you know why he didn't perform as we expected him to perform. He couldn't sleep, he drank an entire bottle of wine, and was essentially hungover on the night of the fight. That's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> It makes me laugh every time when I think about it. So I'm thinking, like, it's been so long. That was a bad performance. What are we going to see from Paulo Costa? The same guy that earned the title shot against Israel Adesanya. You know, that physique, the power. His arms are, you know, a little bit short compared to the rest of his body. So he he is vulnerable in that regard because he kind of has to really get in there to hurt you. Um but I'm I'm curious, you know, just to see how he's going to perform, how he's going to feel after having been away from the cage for so long. And the last memory he has of being there is this embarrassing loss. 
Marvin Venturi also lost to Israel Asanya, but it, you know, it wasn't the same kind of defeat. And, um, you know, I think he's just all around a more, um, uh, successful fighter in the cage. Like not just obviously looking at their records, but just thinking about his mentality. I think he's just more patient and I think he's going to be able to put it all together in a way to, to get the win over Paula Costa, who I believe will be feeling a little bit of the ring rust when he's in there. So first pass off, it to you. <laughs> first off, what's more outlandish, the fact that Paula Costa's, uh, Paula Costa's wine story or the fact that Marvin Vittori still believes he beat Israel out of Sonia in May? Oh. Because I'm yeah. sorry, I, I saw that and thinking I'm like... You beat, thinking you beat out of Sonia is more outrageous, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I saw that and I'm like, wait, what? You're serious? You know. <laughs> and mind you, his coaches told him between rounds he was losing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, on that note, what I will say, what I like about this fight, if they keep it on the feet, you know, Marvin is kind of like Yoel Romero, like Paulo Costa. You got muscles? I got these bad boys. Imagine him flexing. One of the few middleweights that, you know, when they collide, it's kind of like the, you know... The unmoving rock and then the unstoppable force, right? It's just mm -hmm. damage. The wrestling and the grappling, you know, you brought it up for Vittori. I think that's the X factor. I think that all things equal, I think he's technical enough to hang in there as long as he needs to on the feet with Costa. More importantly, I think that he is a competent enough wrestler that he could set up the hands to set, use the hands, sorry, to set up the takedowns. Get Costa off of his feet. Costa is very dangerous. He's very big. Uh, when he's on the feet, you really can't be sleeping on your defense. You get him on his back. I can't say that he's Damian Maya. I think that if Vittori can get him off the feet, really this fight becomes a million times easier for him. And I do think that he could get there. Now, has Costa taken the time to reinvent himself in all this? I'm going to say this. I do think he's messing with people with all this wine and sometimes he acts <laughs> like he doesn't know what he's tweeting. But uh, by the way, I believe that I, I'm not going to bet the house, but I'll bet some money. It's not him. It's uh, Eric Albertasin, mm. you know, Henry Cejudo's coach and good yeah. buddy. I will put money. Coach Eric is the one saying some stuff because i just don't know that costa's mastery of the english language is there when it's portuguese i believe it more but when it's in english i'm like are you just trying to drum up some stuff on a tuesday come on paulo you know so i'm gonna just say that right there uh, and by the way he is improving and he's working on it and i acknowledge that but i just have a feeling that it's actually coach eric yeah. not the same way people accuse ali abdelaziz and all the dominant mma guys i think that Eric and Paolo are deliberately just trying to be silly, if that makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll say this. If it stays on the feet, I actually... If it ends early, I see it favoring Costa. Anything past the third round is all Vittori. And I do believe we're going to see a unanimous decision, uh, Marvin Vittori. I think you get... You, no, you know what? I'm going to go fourth round TKO. I think it's oh. going to be a... Slow breakdown of Bohashin. <laughs> I think it'll be a slow breakdown too, but actually, if you had stuck with your first your first uh, call, we would have been on the same page there. So I actually do think it's going to be a unanimous decision. 
for Marvin Vittori. It'll be a good fight, but it's not going to be like sometimes you look at the physiques of two fighters and you're like, oh, that's going to be a good fight. They're just going to get after it. This is one of those where probably it's not going to be a barn burner. And, and if, yeah, if I'm being super realistic, it definitely won't be. And so that's why I'm going unanimous decision, Marvin Vittori. Oh, I'd love to see them stand and bang. You just know it's not going to happen. Nope. <laughs> Marvin Vittori is too smart. Yeah. 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 But um, uh, we could dream. Yep. Anyway, Natalie, that does it for this week's show. But can you believe it? I'm not going to lie. Next week is actually pretty awesome, too. So we have, I believe, on a Wednesday, the PFL Championships. So Kayla Harrison, uh, Ray Cooper, just uh, everybody's back going for a million dollars on a Wednesday night. I think that's going to be cool. And then that Saturday on free TV, well, as free as you could get ESPN+. Plus. Yeah. You know, we get UFC 260, wait, which one are we on? 267 with Jan Blahovich, Glover Tashira, Corey Sanhagen, Piotr Jan, the return of Hamza Chemaev, Islam Mahachev versus Dan Hooker. I'm sorry, but that's a pretty dang good card on a Saturday morning, if you ask me. Yeah, no doubt. That's great. What are you most looking forward to? Uh, Kayla Harrison. I mean, yes, that's a great card, but I'm looking forward to, to Kayla Harrison. I don't know. You know what? Uh, I feel like I'm looking forward to talking about Kayla Harrison. I feel like the actual night. Well, that's true. You know, it's going to be a blowout. <laughs> I, I'm not going to lie. I always remember that first PFL championship card and I was watching and it was like three hours of five round fights. And I was like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> you know, and look, I'm, I was happy for people. But even I was like, what's going on? Like, who's performing on one of the other channels, you know? Yeah, Every channel yeah. has a concert, you know. But yeah, I, I hope it's a good night in PFL. Um, you know what? I, I think you need to start putting some respect on Jan Blahovic's name. I'm looking forward to seeing him compete. I think that Saturday would be a great showcase if they really drum up the attention like I hope they will. So I'm looking forward to breaking down all of that good stuff. We'll be back on, you know, next week. I was about to say Monday, but we never know. <laughs> We'll be back next week to talk about everything, guys. Until then, thanks for listening. Have a good one.